You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Good morning, church. If you've got a copy of God's Word, would you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we are continuing on in our series today. My name is Craig Turnbull, and I get to be uh, a pastor on staff here at Hope Bible and uh, get to be the messenger of the Lord here today. I'm thankful to do that, thankful to see all of you, and then to say hi to those of you who are at home. Uh, As I said, we're continuing on in 2 Timothy, and what we've seen so far from 2 Timothy is that this is a pretty urgent letter that Paul is writing. It makes sense. It is the last word that we have from Paul ever recorded, written to his young protege, Timothy, who's in Ephesus as a church leader. And we've seen over and over again that this is an urgent word because this is a hostile word, world that, that, that Paul is finding himself in, that, that Timothy finds himself in. It's hostile. They hate the church and hate the truth that it teaches. That people are falling away. They are chasing after lies. They're controlled by their circumstances. It was not fashionable to follow Jesus. In fact, it could get you in a whole lot of trouble. So Paul, in a Roman prison, awaiting his death, puts pen to paper and reaches out to Timothy and writes him. And the tone of this letter that we have and we've been studying so far, we pick it up. It's urgent, Timothy. Timothy, Timothy, time is short. People are wandering. They're following after lives. They need the truth. Don't you dare give up. Don't you dare roll over, Timothy. You keep fighting. You fight that fight. Don't be ashamed. Take heart. Be encouraged. And teach them. Pick up the word and teach them. Continue to tell them about the truth, about the hope, about the life that's found in Jesus Christ. Be faithful to the end, Timothy. That's what Paul writes. The tone of 2 Timothy is unmistakably urgent, but it is also unbelievably relevant to us here today. That tone is our tone also. What I want to do is I want to read our text now, and I want to back us up to verse 19 before we slide in and see what God has for us this day. Verse 19 says this, But God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal, The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now our text, verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. 
God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. An urgent message, an important one for us here today. Lord, please lead us in this. Something you may have noticed as we were reading through this is there's a lot of house illustrations popping up. In verse 19, it was a foundation that was laid. In verse 20, it was a great house that was described with vessels inside the house. In verse 21, we heard about the master of the house. And now in our passage, we get to verse 24 and we see the servants within the house of the master. And what we're going to look at is what is the criteria to be a servant in the house of the master? What does an honorable vessel for the Lord look like inside the master's house? What should my life look like today as a follower of Jesus Christ in this day, in this season, in this particular period in human history? Let me say it a little bit different. Should it look different? than other people? Should I look a little bit different than those who do not follow Jesus? Let me ask you this. Does your life look the same? Same aspirations? Same desires? Same goals? Same fears and anxieties? Same thrills? Let me say it this way before we dive in. If we are to really follow Jesus, like really follow Jesus. We're going to look different. We're going to act different. We're going to talk different. We're going to want different things. We're going to delight in different things. We're going to respond differently when the pressure gets turned up. Let me summarize it this way. If you want to be a servant of the Lord, your life is going to look different. Paul's going to describe just how different it is. Let's circle back, go a little bit deeper. Verse 22 tells us this. So flee youthful passions, writes Paul, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Our life's supposed to look different as we follow Jesus. How different does it look? I want you to see this first. A servant of the Lord runs after what's best. Runs after the best. Now in that verse that we just read, there's actually two strong actions happening in that verse, and both of them talk about urgency, and both of them talk about speed. Did you see them? Flee and pursue. And that's two sides of the same coin, as we're going to see. You get that, right? Two sides. If you flee something, you're going to turn, and then you're going to start pursuing something else. What is Paul calling for first? Flee youthful passions. Flee youthful passions. Now that's so right there, connects our thought, the very first word in the passage, connects our thought back up to what Pastor Robbie was teaching last weekend. It tells us that this is the way that we are to cleanse our plates. Remember that part? That part where Paul is talking about how in the house, if you want to be used as an honorable vessel, you need to deep clean, you need to get out the scraping, scouring brush and clean the plate clean. Because after all, nobody wants a dirty plate. You pull a plate out of the cupboard to use for a snack. You see it's got little nasty potato like crusties on it. What do you do with that, right? You, you put it back in the cupboard for someone else to use next time, right? No, you, 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 ah, put that in the dishwasher. Get rid of that thing. 
Nobody wants to eat off a filthy plate. Why is that? Because a filthy plate is useless until it's clean. So listen, part of repentance means running away, says Paul, from the garbage that could even get on your plate. That's his encouragement to flee youthful passions. I wanted to know what that word passion meant, so I looked it up a little bit more, and, and, and what's not so interesting about it is it's kind of a neutral word. It just kind of means desires or cravings. But what is interesting about it is every time that Paul's using it, he means it as nasty passions, nasty desires, wrong things that I am wanting in my heart. These are youthful passions. They're destructive in nature. Uh, uh, they're, They're rash and they're done quickly without any thought of consequences whatsoever. That's the idea behind the youthful. We're just going to do it. There it is. I'm going to do it. Uh, here's another place where Paul uses the, this word, and this is helpful for us to understand what kind of youthful passions he's talking about. Galatians 5, a, fifth, a familiar passage for us, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires, there's that word, of the flesh. A little later on, what are those desires of the flesh? What are those youthful passions? Sexual immorality. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. These and others. Unchecked desires in my life that ruin me. Impulses given into without any resistance and without any thought of the consequences that could come. Paul says, get that garbage off the plate. Don't even let it touch the plate. Youthful passions acted upon without any thought of consequences. There's candy. I'll eat it. There's money. I'll spend it. There's gossip. I'll share it. There's somebody. I'll be envious of her. There's a woman. I'll fantasize about her. There's a drink. I'll drink it. There's a controversy. I'll dive into it. There's a frustration. I'll explode in anger. There's an opportunity for an affair. I'll dabble in it. There's a chance to leave. I'll take it. There's a quick way to get what I want. I'm gonna take it. Paul says, get that garbage out of your life. This is immediate gratification, immediately hungry for more. We know how this works. Immediate gratification, immediately hungry for more. Like the child with the candy. Hype them up all day long. You're going to have this candy. This is going to be the greatest candy that you have ever tasted in your mind. Like, like get ready to have your entire life fold in on itself. This is how good this candy is. And then maybe you don't hype it up that much. Then you give the child the candy. They eat the candy. And maybe even the response of, oh. And then as soon as it's finished and the empty wrapper lay there, what is the question? Can I have more? Oh, don't lack like it only happens in my house. These are the kind of youthful passions. 
immediate gratification, immediately leaving me hungry for more. That's the stuff that children do. This is not the stuff that mature followers in Jesus Christ do. This will destroy us. It'll make us useless. And this is why we're to flee youthful passions. And what are we to run to? Here's the second command. Pursue, he says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. Instead of running after garbage that touches my plate, the servant of the Lord runs after the best. Righteousness. A life of purity and obedience to Christ. Faith, a trust in God, even when the circumstances speak to the contrary. Love, a supernatural giving of myself to someone else, even my enemy, without any expectation of love in return. Supernaturally giving it to others and supernaturally giving it ultimately to God. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace, and an inner stillness in turmoil, and an outer cultivation of unity. In the storm, my heart is still. That right there, mm, that's the good stuff. That's the stuff that we are to be pursuing as servants of the Lord. You want to be a servant of the Lord? What does an honorable vessel of the Lord look like? In the master's house, an effective servant, useful to God, fruitful before God. This is the stuff you chase after. If you want to be a servant of the Lord, your life's going to look different is what he's saying. Do these things characterize your life? Do you look different from others who follow Jesus or don't follow Jesus? I'm willing to bet that there's not a single one of us who can't think of a thing we have not fallen into lately. A youthful passion. Maybe it's in the actions. Maybe it's just in the thought or that led to the actions. It's that I did it again thing. It's that I can't believe I'm here again kind of thing. I can't believe I responded that way again kind of thing. I can't believe I'm spending my money this way kind of thing. It's the I can't believe I'm having these kinds of thoughts in my head kind of thing. I can't believe that I'm having this jealousy in my heart kind of thing again. Lord knows I have. This is our hearts, loved ones. We just do this. Okay, so is, is it as simple then as fleeing those things and then just turning and pursuing those things? Do I just need to, 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 to try harder? Is that the end of, of, of the charge for us from God's word? Is just bootstrap yourself, don't do this, do this instead. No. Because if it was that easy, we'd all be doing it. If it was that easy, we would not need Jesus. I want you to understand something. Verse 22 is not, is not a checklist, but it's a repair list. It's God's repair list in our hearts. Look at verse 22 once again. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. This is written to Timothy, but it's for everyone, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. This pursuit, this chase after these things is for every follower of Jesus Christ. Everyone who, notice, calls on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. 
How do you flee youthful passions? How do you pursue things like righteousness and peace and love? How do you become a useful vessel, a, a servant of the Lord that the Lord wants in his life, in his heart, in his church, in his house? The first and the only step, church, is this. It's to call on the Lord. That's it. Do you see that in there? Along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Now that call word is not just a neutral beep, 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 hey, how's, that's not it at all. That word conveys an urgency. That word conveys a hunger. That word conveys the kind of emergency that you would cry out, you would call out from the second story window of your house if the first story was engulfed in flames. This word is also incidentally used one other place in the New Testament, which is quite interesting in Acts 7 at the stoning of Stephen. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Urgency. Lord Jesus, help. Lord Jesus, help. I cannot do this apart from you. I need you to do this. That's the word there. Along with those who call, along with those who cry out, along with those who plead with God for his help in their lives. Listen, have you fallen into youthful passions lately? Have you returned back to things you never thought you'd go back to? Is the garbage nearing the plate? Do you desperately want to change? The first and only step is needy, dependent, crying to God. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. You just got to need him. You just got to cry out to him. Listen, Jesus has no time for your self-improvement plan. They don't work. You're to call upon the Lord from a pure heart and in his power. Church, let me say that again. In his power. You can flee youthful passion. You can pursue righteousness and love and faith and peace. We often think about pursuing those things in the wrong way. We often think like, like those things like righteousness and joy and love and peace and all those wonderful things. Those are things you can just chase after on their own. But you need to understand that they're not things to chase after. They're trophies to be obtained when you have chased after what is actually the right thing. Let me explain it this way with a, with a helpful diagram. Here I am with my arrow, aiming for a target, real close. The target is the help of the Lord. The target is the person of the Lord. The target is the presence of the Lord. The growing, deepening love for the Lord in my life. And as I pursue that, the rewards of righteousness, faith, love, and peace come about. You can't pursue peace unless you pursue God. You're rewarded with peace in your pursuit of God. But the enemy, the enemy wants nothing more for you right now than to convince yourself that this is a self-improvement plan. That you can get better just by pursuing these things. This is not a self-improvement plan. There are no self-improvement plans in the Bible. This is not a self-help book that sits in front of you. This is a, I'm broken, God is good, God loves me, God calls to me kind of book. Not a pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of book, but a God picks you up, dead in your sins, 
and breathes life into you kind of book. Only by the grace of God. Only by the power of God. Only by the mercy of God. Only through the forgiveness of God can you pursue these kinds of things. That's one way your life is to look different. You're gonna be pursuing after the best. You wanna be a servant of the Lord? Your life's gonna look different. You're gonna pursue the best, but I want you to see this secondly. You're also gonna endure the difficult. Endure the difficult. There's a call to pursue the right things that we've just read, but there's also a call to endurance in the painful moments, in the moments of conflict. Look at verse 23. Paul writing Timothy, having nothing to do, have nothing to do with foolish ignorance controversies. You know they breed quarrels. Okay, now in this chapter, this is now the fourth reference to this kind of garbage that's going on wherever Timothy is. Verse 14, we said, don't quarrel about words. Verse 16, avoid irreverent babble. Verse 17, there's a talk that's spreading like gangrene. And now here in verse 23, avoid foolish, ignorant controversies. Whatever is happening, wherever Timothy is, one thing is for sure, there is a whole lot of, wait for it, stupid talk. Now that sounds harsh until you know that the word for foolish is actually what we get our English word moron from. This is uneducated, ignorant disputes, whether inside or outside the church. And Paul says to Timothy, don't even start down that road, Timothy. Don't even, don't even engage, don't, don't go there, man. You know what that's gonna breed? It's not gonna breed a healthy baby boy or girl. That's gonna breed a nasty coral baby like a little purple-faced child screaming at the top of his lungs. It's going to breed controversy, a little coral baby, this moronic talk. That's what's going on here. And that's another tactic in the enemy's arsenal. Just for a moment, I want you to think about these, just apply this for a second. Two questions for you. One, what is the most important truth in your life? Well, for the follower of Jesus Christ, it's got to be the gospel. It's got to be the hope of Christ that has transformed your life and will transform the lives of others. The message that the kingdom of God is advancing in your life and in and through you. That this life, this life that we're living is not all that there is. The most important thing in my life is understanding that this is not all my life. But the second question is the harder one. What's pulling your attention away from this truth? Are there circumstances or things in your life right now that are pulling your attention away from the most important truth? Are you quarreling your way through your days? Let me tell you this. What you and I struggle to prioritize and what you and I struggle to remain focused on, the gospel, is always, always, always Satan's laser focus. Because Satan understands just how devastating the gospel is for his kingdom. The gospel, the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. That by placing faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, even the hardest of hearts can be saved. Even the most despicable sinner can find life. Even the guy, Paul, who writes these words, who confesses that he was a murderer, can find life. Even the worst, even the worst can see the hope of heaven. It's 
he or she trusts not in his own power and their own strength, their own, their own abilities, but in the power and the strength and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel that communicates this, the gospel that communicates the tone, the, the massive message that there is someone who has loved you so much from before eternity began and sees you even now in your hurt and in your brokenness and your despair and steps in, stepped into time and space and himself became hurt and himself became broken and loved you all the way through his own brokenness and his own hurt, to hang upon a cross, to die for your sins so that you might have life. And then in victory, three days later, rising and guaranteeing you life and salvation and hope and forgiveness. The enemy understands, church, that that message of hope is devastating for his kingdom. It's, this, this message of the gospel that's gonna free people from hell and free people from opposition, there is no greater truth and so he's always attacking it. But he's overpowered because this is God we're talking about against Satan. And so Satan has to resort to what every underpowered military leader has ever done in history, which is to discourage, to distract, and to divide. To somehow stop the message of Christ from coming out of my life and out of my mouth and to make me useless for the battle to throw the youthful passions my way. Now you tell me, as a result of stuff that's going on in your life right now, as a result of the things swirling around your life, maybe even irreverent babble or, or, or controversies or talks or quarrels not related to the gospel, are you discouraged, distracted, divided? Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels in and out of the church, just making quarrel babies. There's something far more urgent at stake. People are sliding into eternity apart from Jesus Christ. And even in the church, if we are not on guard, we will quarrel about things that just do not matter. Just because it's a little tougher to be a North American these days, does that mean that the greatest passion of my heart should be to fight for my own comforts? Should I be more concerned about my comforts and my rights and care very little about those around me? I ask myself this question. Why am I so concerned about my rights? fighting for them, and so slow to fight for my neighbor's soul, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. They don't save, they don't rescue, they don't deliver, and the enemy laughs. Just keep talking. Just keep being distracted. Just keep arguing while I bury another person apart from Christ and another one of your little quarrel babies is born. If you want to be a servant of the Lord, your life's got to look different. Different how? Verse 24 gives the contrast to 23. And, or even but, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. 
What is the servant of the Lord supposed to do in controversial times? You see it right there. He's not to be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. When arguments are heard, when challenges arise, she responds in kindness. Able to teach. Now, the interpretation is directly Paul writing to Timothy, but there's application for us all here. We're willing to embrace the truth. We're willing to hold on to the truth and even communicate the truth. They're patiently enduring evil, even in difficult times, even when things are done against you that are clearly wrong. You show restraint, correcting opponents with gentleness, gentleness. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Anyone who understands relationships knows that just as important as what you say is how you say it. And you can win an argument, but you could lose. You know what I mean? Paul tells Timothy, don't do that. Be patient, be kind, endure, teach them, be gentle. Answer the foolishness kindly, but answer them. You gotta fight the good fight, Timothy, remember that. You gotta be a good soldier, Timothy. You gotta, you gotta guard the good deposit, Timothy. But you can do it kindly, with gentleness. What happens when this isn't done, though? Well, the coral babies come in. And they stop the zeal, stop the urgency for the gospel, distract the church, divide the church, discourage the church. But one of the greatest evidences of our faith in Jesus Christ is how we respond to adversity. Encouraged, united. If we want to be a servant of the Lord, our life has got to look different. We're gonna run after the best. We're also gonna endure the difficult, but I wanna show you this thirdly. They also anticipate the impossible. They anticipate the impossible. Why is it so important that in opposition, in difficulty, we endure well? Well, because even the way that we endure, even the way that we endure is a witness for Christ. Look again at verse 25. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, watch this. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Look at this, look at this. When you and I, as servants of the Lord, pursue the best, endure the difficult, treat the opposition with patience and kindness and gentleness, we are holding fast to the belief that God can save even them. God can do the impossible even in their lives. Real quick, two things. Notice, it's God who gives repentance. It's God who gives this gift. Real sorrow, real brokenness over sin is granted by God and him alone, meaning all your arguing isn't gonna bring about repentance in someone's life. Only God can do that. It's God who gives repentance. But then secondly, God gives repentance that leads them to the truth, that leads them to escape. God may give the gift of repentance to them so that they can awaken, that they can escape, and they can actually get saved. Think about this. The conditions are perfect for them as they were for you when you first believed. All God needed for you was brokenheartedness and a cry out to him. And the mercy of God meets with the brokenness of your own heart and life flows. The same circumstances are available for even the hardest heart today. Brokenness of heart that cries out to the Lord to find the mercy of God and to find the life that's there. And if the cross has happened, and the cross has happened, then mark this church. God 
is still saving impossible cases. Saving the hardest hearts. Saving the one who still struggles in their depression. Struggles in their rage or in controlling fear in their lives. It's still saving the one who's struggling in their loss or in their greed or in their anxiety. Gripped with sexual sin or self-righteousness or addiction. Gripped with anger, facing self-disgust. The person who says, no one sees, no one cares, no one loves. God is still in the business of saving lives like this. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 that person's too far. Or maybe even, no, 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 no. I'm too far. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad it is. You think you've heard bad? Wait till you see what I've done. It's impossible. Let me just say this. In love. Since when has impossible ever stopped God? You try telling Moses, who saw an ocean split in half, that God does not do impossible things. You try telling David, who killed a giant with a pebble, that God does not do impossible things. Or Naaman, who bobbed in a river to heal his leprosy. Or, or a widow who put out jar after jar to find it fuller and fuller. Or Elijah, who, who, who saw stones incinerated before his eyes, that God does not do impossible things. You try telling Simeon, who looked on the face of Jesus Christ as a child and saw his own deliverance. Or, 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 or Peter, who stood on the water in the middle of the lake or Mary and Martha who unwrapped the bandages from their brother's eyes, living again. Or Mary Magdalene who saw the stone rolled away from the empty tomb. Or Thomas who touched the hands of Jesus Christ that God does not do impossible things. You try telling Paul who wrote this book, who was a murderer, that God does not do impossible things. What's the common factor for all of those stories? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Same God, church. Same God today, right now. So knowing this, knowing this, we don't ever think that God's miracle tank is unempty. Never. Here's what the servant of the Lord does. They follow after the best in the grace that God provides. They endure the difficulty as God calls them to. And they anticipate the possible, impossible, knowing that even the hardest hearts can be saved, knowing that even the hardest hearts cannot stand up to the chisel that God wields. One more thing I want to show you, and then we'll be done. I don't want to make sure you notice this. We are to live like this. Servants of the Lord, we are to live like this. Because this is exactly who Jesus is. Jesus, more than anyone, pursued the best. Sets aside the quick fix. Sets aside the pleasures. Having equal status with God, but didn't think too much of himself that he had to cling to that. He humbles himself. He becomes the form of a servant, even unto death on the cross. Jesus understands what it's like to pursue the best. At the cost of the, of the temporal. Jesus understands what it's like to endure the difficulty, the pain. When he is struck, he does not strike back. He willingly hangs upon the cross, endures the hostility of sinners, despises the shame. Jesus understands difficulty. Jesus understands more than anyone else 
Finally, that even the hardest hearts can be saved and find forgiveness. Jesus knows that the impossible can happen. He came to call the sick. He came to call the broken. He came to call the desperate. And he is still doing that work today. That's who Jesus is. And that's who we're called to be because a servant is not greater than his master. So we run after the best. So we endure the difficult. So we anticipate the impossible. Is that who you are right now? Does your life look different than those around you? Well, as servants of the Lord, our lives need to look different. And how wonderful that we have an opportunity to cry out to the Lord now for help in just that. In just a moment, we're gonna finish our service through worship with the Lord's Supper, and what a fitting end for us as we consider Jesus Christ, the, the, the surety of the promise that we can do what he has called us to in his word because this has happened, because the cross of Christ has happened, because I've now been freed from the penalty of my sin. I can now walk holding his hand through faith in this life and cling to the obedience that he gives me as his grace works in me. In a moment, we're gonna celebrate this, and uh, the worship team will come out after I pray and they'll play a song over us. And I would encourage you to use that song to offer your thanksgiving to God for what he has done. But before that time, I want to lead us in prayer. I want to pray for maybe a couple scenarios that are maybe in this room. Maybe even as God has been leading you through his word this morning. Let's bow together and let me pray for you. Lord, I group my heart in with my friends here and ask that you would please, please help us. Expose to me, Lord, what needs to change in my life. What is there that I need to surrender to you? Where have I been living like somebody else's servant? Where have I been living like that? Instead of you, I'm actually serving myself. Instead of pursuing righteousness and love and peace in your strength, I'm actually running after cheap thrills and quick fixes and temporal stuff, sinful thoughts and words and actions flowing out of my childish heart. And it shows, God. It shows in the way I live. It shows in the way I treat people, the people you love, the people I love. It shows in the way that I treat the body you gave me, the money you gave me, the words you gave me, serving myself garbage on the plate of my heart? Where have I been living like someone else's servant? Instead of enduring difficulty, I'm fully embracing the battle for my rights and my opinions, and I want to win. It doesn't matter who the other person is. I'm not responding with kindness, gentleness, just truth-bombing people. I've been serving myself. Garbage on the plate of my heart. Where have I been living like somebody else's servant, Lord, forgetting that I was saved by grace, that you had mercy on me, that you forgave me, even me. And what you've done in my life, you can do and you are doing in the lives of people all over the place. So please help me to see this, Lord. Please help me to pray for this. And as a useful servant, make me a part of this. 
Lord, what needs to change in my life? What do I need to surrender to you? That I would look to your example, Lord. That I would find forgiveness in you and I would turn. Truly turn to you for healing.